Let us hear the word of the Lord together. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, and Psalm 19. Whatever you eat and drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. But there is no speech, nor are these words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Praise be to God. Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are you? This is awesome, man. Like, honestly, I don't know about you, but Sunday mornings are a time for me, like, it's just family. And, and honestly, I am so thankful to share this Sunday morning with all of you. Um, oh, yeah, now I'm forgetting this too. This is my first time doing this. If you would like a Bible, would you please raise up your hand and one of our ushers will come by and they will bring you a Bible. If you have one, obviously flip to where we are. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and then we will be heading over to Psalm 19 just a little bit later on. As I said before, I'm excited to be here with all of you this morning. As Matt was saying, my name is Scott. I am the intern or one of the interns here uh, for Church of the City, and I will be bringing you part one of how the gospel redeems work. My brother Kyle will be doing uh, part two. You need two parts, man. Like, we could do the gospel the entire year and not get, like, we can't get sick of it, man. Like, it's just that good. Like, there's just so much going on. So when... Now that we're here together, this is Sunday morning, we're going to have some family time, and we're going to have a little bit of some sharing time. You guys okay with that? Okay, cool. So when it comes to work, my work experience is not as long as most people, but my work experience is quite 
I would say significant in some way. Uh, my first ever job was when my mom, she works for Sears Canada. She came up to me one time during the Christmas time season. She's like, Scott, there's this job happening at Sears. You'd be perfect for it. I think you'd love it. It's awesome. You'll just enjoy every second of it. I'm like, sweet. What is it? You get to walk around in a costume. I'm like, that is so cool. I'm like, what does it look like? I get to the place. It's a gingerbread costume. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> It's smiling, but I'm not, you know, like it's, it's weird. And so that was my first ever job. I got to walk in this hot, disgusting, sweaty costume. I made good money, don't get me wrong, but like it was like awful. They need a fan in that thing. It didn't happen. My second job I ever had was working. I was cutting a lawn once a week for this Romanian elderly lady up the street from me. Every time she called me, I was like, oh, I don't want to go up there because it's just this walk, you know, and I had to go and cut her lawn. About roughly 30 minutes to 40 minutes, if I left it two weeks, it was just like a forest. And I'm like, oh, I only have a mower. What am I going to do? Like, I need like a hacksaw or something. And so that was my job for, you know, when I was in grade uh, eight. And then going on into high school, I never had a job up until about grade 10. And then I worked at Montana's. I was in the dish pit. And one thing that I've appreciated after doing that job is that I hate doing the dishes. So that's an okay thing, but I still have to do them regardless anyways. And then when I got out of high school, my next job that I had would be for four summers where I would go um, every year. I would go and work for a landscaping company. I started off doing the grunt work, and then I got to be a supervisor slash crew leader, and that was pretty sweet. And then just last year, I had the opportunity and the privilege to be a junior high pastor at my old church. And then now that I'm here in Guelph, I have the absolute privilege of being an intern here at Church of the City, and I also work part-time for Goodness Me. And uh, just to point out, as everyone was saying, I worked for Onside as well. And it was funny, when I was doing my practice run-through sermon with Matt and Brian, I didn't add that in there, and Brian got upset with me. So, Brian, if you're listening to this, I added it in there. Don't fire me. Um, <laughs> so with all that said, I want to talk about how work is important no matter what your list looks like. Great or small, it's awesome that we are given the opportunity to be worked, that we get to work, and be used in many areas of our lives. Agreed? Yeah. I was like, yeah. And just so we are clear, I am not doing this sermon in a spoken word format. I know some people ask that, and I said, no, not today, maybe someday. So you will not hear me doing some spoken word today. <laughs> so since you've heard what I've done regarding work, let's talk about work together this morning. Work can be overwhelming, it can be demanding. It can be exhausting. It takes up most of our weeks. Or some of you who work part-time, it takes up half of your week. It's something that some are thankful that it's Friday. If you listen to our culture today, there are more songs about how thankful they are that it's Friday. They even have a song called Friday, and it's awful. <laughs> but they dread that work approaches them on Monday. Work can, be, or can have its ups and its, its, its downs, and something that we just dread going into every day. Today, I would like to talk about how the gospel teaches us and shows us that our approach to work doesn't have to be like this anymore. The verses that we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 is probably by far one of the most important verses that we will read in the Bible. Now, as I said before, we will jump over to Psalm 19 and discuss its importance as well near the end. But for now, we will focus our time and our attention on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 
A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Matt was talking, and for some reason I'm forgetting what the, the section was. They said this, so forgive me. Um, but it just stuck to me, and it's kind of like where we're going to be focusing our time on this morning. Uh, he said last week, just briefly, um, that we are to work in a way that displays God's presence and beauty. Let me say that one more time. We are to work in a way that displays God's presence and beauty. Because what we just read from this passage impacts us in how we do our work. But it's not just in our work that it impacts. No, no. It's not just talking about this certain thing. No, no. It's talking about in all things we are to do for the glory of God. It also directs us in how we should live our lives. How we should eat. And how we should even just take a breath. Little things that we take for granted should create in us a consistent response for worshiping God. Now, it's interesting. We could look at a verse like this, do all things for the glory of God. We might be like, Paul, Paul, man, you didn't really mean, like, all things, right? Like, come on, man. Like, I know it's just the church thing, right? That's, that's doing all things for the glory of God. But, like, not, like, not when I'm driving, right? Like, that guy cut me off, right? Like, he, he deserved the wrath from my own lips. Like, you know, no. Because what I'm seeing here, and I'll be brutally honest with you, this is impacting me as well. I don't think Paul was joking when he said these words. I don't think God jokes around when he says anything in his word. I would say to you and myself this morning, there is no joke when it comes to this. We are to do all things for God's glory. Here's why I think this verse is important for us this morning. God tells us through his word that we are to do all things with excellence and also with integrity, and to, to display his presence and his beauty. During this year, I was reading through a number of books, and one of the books that I was really engaging with a lot was from a pastor that I really have grown a lot from, and I've just grown a lot from his teaching, even from his writings. Uh, pastor Matt Chandler uh, wrote in his book, The Explicit Gospel, he writes this, um, God created everything, and what he created was good. But what he created to be good was not created as an end in itself, but was given to us as good in order that we might be driven to worship him. In other words, when you and I take a bite of food, that should spark worship in us. Not a worship of food, of course, but of the creator of food. When you and I feel the warmth of our children hugging us, that should create worship in us. When we feel the warmth of the sun on our faces, that should create worship in us. When we smell the rain, that should create worship. The goodness of creation is to design, to declare itself, to act as a signpost pointing heavenward. So what we see from this quote are three things that Paul addresses here that we are to do. Number one is that anything we see around us and that we experience should actually cause us to worship God. The second thing is that anything we do can be done to the glory of God. Now, this does not include sinning. And if you think, just FYI, that I'm going to go and sin to the glory of God, there are passages in the Bible that will say, don't do that. That is not what you're called to do. God says, it is, you're giving me glory when you obey, not disobey. And number three is that we should do all things for the glory of God. This includes our work. This includes our vocation. Now, with all this being said, 
there is a problem that we face. There is a problem that arises in all of us. There is this tension that arises in each of us. It's deeply embedded into us, which causes us to resist doing all things for God's glory. Rather, we do it for ourselves. Pastor James addressed in week one, looking at the book of Genesis, we read that we were designed to work, which we see in Genesis chapter two. But because of Adam and Eve's rebellion towards God, we see the result of sin and the damage that has done between our, our, our relationship with God and what our purpose is, which we see in Genesis 3, and that's the fall. But what the gospel has shown us, and for you in this room who are not followers of Jesus, is that God is graciously calling us back to him. Because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection, Christians have been made into new creations and we are being restored. This not only includes the renewing of our hearts and how we live, it also restores how we do our everyday jobs, tasks, and responsibilities. For a non-believer, this idea of living on working just seems absolutely ridiculous. Those who are not followers of Christ might see you as being crazy or delusional, that you would give all your hard work and dedication to a God who they don't believe is real. They would see this as an unhealthy way to live, only on the basis that your worldview is fixed around God. But my only question to the skeptic of our faith, or anyone who is not in our faith, why do you do your job? Why are you doing anything if there is simply no purpose for it? If all this is random and chaotic, why do you do what you do? Is it just to provide income for your family so you don't let your children starve? Is it so you can enjoy this life and live it to the fullest? In the end, will all of this be worth it? As I mentioned worldview just a little few seconds there, I would like for us to now focus on how the gospel has impacted and is impacting our own worldviews that we hold on to, but also, too, how it impacts and changes other worldviews. Here are three things I want us to look at from the opposite worldviews from this morning. Number one, other worldviews live for themselves rather than for God. So number one is that other worldviews live for themselves rather than for God. Number two, identity is found in the job slash vocation. So already we're at, a bad, we're at a bad spot right now. This isn't good. You have two really important things that are really messed up right now. Other worldviews live for themselves rather than for God. Their identity is found in the job slash vocation. And number three is purpose for this life is set on the wrong intentions. Here's the first point that I want to make here. Other worldviews live for themselves rather than for God. Last year I was taking a week-long course. Uh, for, it, was, it was at my school. It was a week-long course. And it was on the topic of new atheism. And one of the things that was surprising to me about this class was how not so ordinary and unique atheism really is. 
If anything, it's a constant cycle of contradictions and inconsistency for defining truth. What I also picked up from this course was that for all those who are not in Jesus Christ, life is utterly random, sporadic, and chaotic. It's somewhat worth living for, and at the end of the day, we simply do what we do with only the slight possibility of enjoying this life. And this all depends on your current vocation or circumstance. But this is not what the gospel teaches us. This is not what the gospel teaches us. If there is no meaning to our jobs except just going in every day and making a paycheck and going with the flow of life, all we end up becoming is a society and a culture that does what it does without meaning or purpose. During a recent debate that was held at Guelph University uh, just this year, I got to listen to it. I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, one of the speakers who is representing the naturalists, and those are just people who, who basically believe that everything just happens naturally. That just what it is, is what it is. And the speaker was named uh, Christopher DiCarlo, and he delivered his final answer for human life and purpose. And this is what he said. He said, we are just here to keep humanity flourishing, and one day we will be nothing more than a name on a tombstone. Everyone will forget who you are and you have simply served your purpose. How heartbreaking is that? That's it? That's my life? That's all I'm here for? I'm just going to be some name on a tombstone that only certain people are going to remember? But there's some good in that. No, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we get like to keep the next generation going, but I'm selfish sometimes, and so I don't... But that's it? We just keep this train going? This way is actually quite similar to someone who is quite famous in the atheistic, uh, community, atheist community. Uh, his name is Richard Dawkins, and he wrote this in his book, uh, River Out of Eden. He says, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. The second point here I want to make regarding purpose and identity, is if you and I believe that the way of life is like this, we will never truly understand our purpose and meaning in this world. And for those outside the church, you will constantly be searching, constantly be searching, trying to find the meaning to life. You'll go and try and find yourself. You'll go to India and you'll be like, oh, I got to go and find myself. I got to go walk up a mountain and get somewhere so I can just discover who I am. You will constantly be searching and being let down by this way of thinking. Your job will never give you identity that is satisfying. 
Your job will never give you a greater purpose than that which is found in a Savior who was nailed to a cross for you. You will never find ever in this life an identity is greater than that in Jesus Christ. This purposeless life is not what the Christian faith teaches at all. Because it teaches us that there is meaning for humanity. That all we see before our eyes was not made so accidentally, it was made so perfectly, all to point us right back to his glory. Our purpose is to glorify and serve God. Think about this. We get to partner alongside him. Imagine playing a basketball game and you're the bench warmer. You never play. And Jesus is like the all-star. He's got a headband on. You know, he's got chewing, you know, he's chewing bubble gum and he's about ready just to lay down the court, right? Like Raptors are killing it right now. It's awesome. But like imagine LeBron James except 10 times better, right? And Jesus is the one who's on the, on the court and he says, you, come with me. He doesn't even say you. He just says, Cam, come with me. Come play. You go, I get to go and play? Yeah, come play. You'll miss every shot, but we'll still win because I'm, I'm the winner. <laughs> like, like, that's the God that you and I get to be on the same team with. He never loses. He's already won. Like, death has been defeated. Like, what? Like, are you kidding me? That's the guy. He's the one that we get to be on the same team with? He says, come join me. Be on my team. We get to partner alongside God and be the fingers of his hands. And this way, this way, this is the way that God intended it to be, man. He calls us to join him and to do his work with him. Third point I want to make here after what we've just been talking about is that atheists might say about themselves that they do their job so that they can make an income and make their lives more enjoyable. And in their jobs, they are given identity and status. The Christian response is the complete opposite to this, or at least it should be. We do our jobs to love others and to serve others. And our identity is not in our jobs or what we do because it is found and secured in Jesus Christ. We do our jobs because our God came not to be served, but to serve. And he laid his own life down for us. And in response, we do the very same thing for those around us. We imitate. We imitate what God has already done for us. One view says you do this for yourself. The other view says we do this for God. My question to you this morning, which one do you want to do? Because I need to hear this myself. But here's something I completely agree with, with Mr. Keller. Mr. Tim Keller, he says this, Without any understanding of the gospel, we will be either naively utopian or cynically delusioned. We will be demonizing something that isn't bad enough to explain the mess that we are in. And we will be idolizing something that isn't powerful enough to get us out of it. This is, in the end, what all other worldviews do. Other worldviews can't explain what they do. They just simply do what they do. We must walk, brothers and sisters, 
We must walk in the truth of the gospel. That we were saved, as we were singing, by grace and grace alone. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by how good you look on a Sunday morning or how fancy you can dress your life up. You are saved by grace and grace alone. Because we were hopeless and dead in our trespasses. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He has and will renew what we see our purpose to be. And that is to glorify God. Now, as we are nearing the end of our time together this morning, we need to understand this. That the true beauty that comes from the gospel is that it has the power to change us from our old rebellious ways. I'm going to say it one more time. The true beauty that comes from the gospel is that it has the power to change us from our old rebellious ways. Oh, good. (laughs) Three people are awake. It has the power to change everything in us, in every area of our lives. And you and I, especially me, need to understand that there is nothing that is impossible for God. There are three things. Now you can jump over to Psalm 19. There are three things that we can observe from the psalm. Don't worry, we're not going through it the entire thing. We're going to pick out a little bit. But generally, Psalm 19, this is what we get out of it. Number one is that God's way is perfect. Anyone want to argue that? No? Okay, good. Glad. Sermon is done. No. Number two, our vocations are restored when we see it through the lenses of God. So number one is that God's way is perfect. Number two is that our vocations are restored when we see it through the lenses of God, meaning His way, not my way. Number three, God wants to change our views towards our jobs, identity, and purpose. So as you noticed before, everything was about ourselves. God's way is all about Him. God's way is perfect. Our vocations are restored when we see it through the lenses of God. And God wants to change our views towards our jobs, identity, and purpose. First, God's way is perfect. As we observe Psalm 19, it demonstrates something beautiful for us. Because what King David was writing at this time in this psalm was about, us, uh, was about the perfect and wonderful Torah. The Torah was God's law that was revealed to Moses, and you, that's the first five books of the Bible, which is also known as the Pentateuch. The psalm takes us back to the perfect design that we see in Genesis chapter 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. As we head over to verse 7, we read that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving to the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The verses continue to say that God's teachings are right. You're you're listening to this, you're going, everything is like on point right now. He is like, God's way is the only way. His way is perfect. It's reminding us, this psalm is reminding us, hey, get your eyes back on me, not on yourself. Keep your eyes on me. My way is perfect. 
And I believe that God wants us to see Him and live our lives for His glory. We would, that we would be in awe of His power and His rich character in order that we would honor and worship Him, not out of selfishness or in order that we would have right standing before Him. No. Only that we would see that, his, that He is good and that His way is perfect and it is reviving to our souls. Second point that I want to make from that, or from here, is that our vocations are restored when we begin to see it through the lenses of God. Our vocations, as I said before, are more than a paycheck. They're more than a paycheck or a place that we go to every day. Our jobs do not define us because we have already been told who we are in Him. We are children of God redeemed and purchased by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. It becomes less about what we do for a living versus who we are in Jesus. If anything, we get to model the good and wonderful character of God. Now, if you're with me in Psalm 19, go to verse 14, because there's something really powerful from that. It says that let the words... Let the words of my mouth be a meditation, or let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Be acceptable. It comes from the language of service that we see in Leviticus chapter 22, verse 20, where he says that you, the writer says that you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it, will be, for it will not be acceptable for you. Thus, the request is that this song be suitable act of worship before God, like a sacrifice. We are told to do all things for the glory of God, including our vocations, regardless of what we do or where we work. It should all be done with excellence and should be done as an act of worship. Not so that we receive glory or right standing before God, because you already have that right standing before God, and it's been already purchased for you because of Jesus. We get to do our work to demonstrate God's presence and beauty. And this is why, or in this God that we speak of, says that He loves you. That He accepts you. No matter what you do. And man, I was wrestling with this for this entire year. I stock shelves. That's what I do. I was like, this is the worst job ever. I never, ha- I never saw my job as being anything meaningful until I had, you know, just coffee with a friend. And they said to me, man, it's so cool that you get to go and just serve and love people where you work. Honestly, I never saw my job like that. I just saw it as stocking shelves. But I get to help people. I get to provide people with food. I, I get to help people find items that I have no idea how to spell or pronounce the name to. I just know where it is. And that's a cool thing. I was even having, you know, like one of the guys from my old Bible study over one night or one day. And he saw, he, he, honestly, he, he makes chickens. He roasts chickens at Swiss Chalet, right? That's all he does, right? And he was saying that to me and I was like, he just looks so down, man. Like, he just looks so, like, I, yeah, I just, just roast chickens, I guess. Like, it's not a big deal. I just looked at him. I said, man, it's so cool that you get to serve God by providing people with a meal. Like, honestly, look at your job. 
and realize that like God is using you in there, regardless. Plumbers, you are my favorite people because without you, my house would flood. For contractors, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't have homes. We have firefighters who are going all the way to Fort McMurray, and it's just it, for the brave men and women who are going there and doing their job like that. Without them, we would. What would we do? God uses us wherever we are. The third and final point I want to make here is that God wants us to change how we view our jobs and our identity and purpose. God wants you to be changed into the image of Jesus. How is this possible? By God's grace and grace alone. And for you this morning, I ask you and I just beg you, would you please pray that God would change you, that he would, by his grace, change you, change your view on how you see yourself at your job and what you do for a living. Because to be honest, we all need God's grace to make a practical change in our lives. Whatever you do as a vocation, God wants you to do all things for his glory. I would like to leave you with this quote from Tim Keller's book, from the Every Good Endeavor. This is in chapter 9. This is the very last page. And he says this, Becoming a Christian is a lot like moving to a new country, only it is more profound because it gives us a new perspective on every culture, every worldview, and every field of work. In the long run, the gospel helps us see everything in a new light because it takes time to grasp and incorporate this new information into how we live and pursue our vocations. And we can be sure that this ultimate learning experience will never truly end. We are told that the angels themselves never tire of looking into the gospel to see new wonders. Our jobs may be painful. That's just life. Our jobs might not be so ideal to those around us, but God sees them. God sees what you do. And knows what you do. And he's there with you. And you doing your job and you doing your vocation, he will use you there for his glory. And this is something that I hope inspires all of us this morning. That we would be reminded of what God has done for us on the cross. And that we would do so in act of obedience and give him praise and worship. I'm going to call the worship team back up here and then we're going to pray so if you bow your heads with me, let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day, Lord, and how, Lord, you are worthy of all praise. God, we come to you this morning and confess, Lord, for all of us in this room, Lord, who have not seen our jobs or have seen us outside of the church, Lord God, as being, um, doing anything like we're doing everything separate, Lord God. The church is on Sunday and then work is on the other rest of the week. Lord God, would you remind us, Lord, that we are to do all things for your glory because we are to reflect, Lord, what your Son has done for us on the cross and that has given us new life. And so, Lord, may we look at our jobs that we have and realize, Lord, that, Lord, you are using us regardless. You are using us for your work. Lord, remind us that we are children of God. Remind us that we are loved by you. Lord, remind us that we are to do all things 
for your glory. Lord, may we do all things that would be acceptable in your sight. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you so much for what you've done. And Father, thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.